our Sober Curious podcast is supported by Groovy, creators of three delicious alcohol-free drinks that are perfect for any social occasion. I personally love a nice, crisp, non-alcoholic beer, and Groovy do a hoppy, full-bodied IPA and a crisp and tangy rice beer, which I also love mixing with lemonade to make a very refreshing shandy. And for when you've got something to celebrate, like because it's Friday night or something, their zero-proof Prosecco is hands down the tastiest wine alternative I've tried. Groovy can be found at getgroovy.com, that's get G-R-U-V-I.com, or in specialty markets throughout Colorado. And they're offering you guys 20% off any online order with the code RUBY20. Welcome back to the Sober Curious podcast with me, Ruby Warrington. Okay, so I've definitely said this before, but this week's episode is one of my favorites to date. My guest is Arlen Hamilton, an entrepreneur and the founder of Backstage Capital, a venture capital fund dedicated to minimizing funding disparities in tech by investing exclusively in high potential and what Arlen calls underestimated founders, meaning people of color, women, and or who identify as LGBTQ. Arlen literally built her fund from the ground up, meaning she was homeless and sleeping on the floor at San Francisco airport when she found her first angel investor. She was also a high-functioning alcoholic at the time, having justified and made excuses for her excessive drinking for years. In our interview, she shares how she finally got sober and how her subsequent sobriety has gone hand-in-hand with building her fund to the point she has now invested over $5 million dollars in more than 130 startups. In the first part of the interview, Arlen shares her drinking history, including the time she OD'd on marijuana after she decided to try using it to wean herself off booze. And then we open it up to discuss her business philosophy, how she is enacting equity in a space that has traditionally been extremely biased, and how actually our collective sober curiosity is part of a wider shift when it comes to who and what we value. It's a super thought-provoking conversation, and I'm excited to hear what you think. More from me on the other side. For now, this is Arlen. Arlen, thank you so much for joining me for the Sober Curious podcast today. Thank you for having me. We're in your beautiful home, overlooking Hollywood. Um, It's a lovely sunny day. The air is off, so it's a little warm in here, but that's (laughs) cosy. Yes, you could have it on, but it would be loud. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to. I want to get every um, every last word of this podcast down crystal clear. So, so yeah. Let's let's kind of dive in. Like you, um, we can talk all about the incredible and very disruptive things that you're doing in your kind of work life and career. Um, in a little bit, I was like, do we want to talk about that first or do I want to hear about your sobriety story mm. first? And I, I'd love to hear about your kind of personal background, particularly as it pertains to your, your sobriety and your sober story first, since this is mm-hmm. the Sober Curious podcast. Yeah. But I have a feeling that that will open up lots of avenues to talk about the other things that yeah, you're doing sure. in the world. And I actually um, became sober during like the height of like my current ah. iteration of what I work on. Okay, awesome. So they go hand in hand, really. Yeah. Yeah, so what would you like to know? Well, when did when did alcohol first come into your life? That's such a, that's a very, you know, I ask everybody that question, mm-hmm. and it's always, I think it's very telling as to why yeah. you use it, right? So I hated the thought of alcohol until I was 21. Mm. Um, I would see people that I cared about, or just adults in general, 
drinking and it just really bothered me and to, to the point where one of my first girlfriends ever uh, I used to tell her, I remember this, I used to tell her that it felt like she was cheating on me when she drank. Hmm. That's how much I hated it. Hmm. And it was because it was, I guess I was seeing uh, really kind of clearly uh, what it could do to people. What but sort of things were you seeing? Like what kind of context? I just didn't like the way people acted. They, yeah. You know, adults were didn't have control of themselves and, and just stumbling around or saying things. People that I knew during the day were very... Uh, put together mm. would be a little bit more like louder, but but kind of obnoxious and that sort of thing. Or they and they wouldn't pay as much a, a, as the attention to the kids that were around as they would when they were drinking. And mm. just something I noticed since I was really young. And it wasn't in my own home. It was kind of where we would visit or family or things like that. And it um, it just wasn't something. It was something I felt like it was drugs. It was to me. Mm. It was like saying. Someone did cocaine, you know. That's how it felt then, and, and kind of full circle. <laughs> but uh, at 21, I went to uh, Germany for the first time. Or no, for the sec. It wasn't the first time. It was like the second time. Mm. Uh, 2021, and I discovered Bailey's there of all things <laughs> at, a, at a party, like a, a, like a going away party. Mm. So I was in Germany for all this time, you know, land of beer at 20 or 21 and didn't touch a thing. What were you doing in Germany? um, I had some, um, when I was like a teenager, I joined a Janet Jackson fan club. Okay. And so we, back then you had pen pals. Yeah. You didn't didn't talk to people online. You had pen pals. So I was writing to probably 10 or 12 different people in different parts of the the world. And a lot of those people are still friends of mine. Actually, in fact, I'm seeing one of them. Uh, over the weekend to go see Janet, actually, <laughs> uh, after years of knowing her. Uh, but th- this was a, th- so I had met one of those and they became my very first girlfriend ever. I see. It's a long story because actually my second girlfriend, the one I was told that, it's a whole thing. The one who cheated on you with booze. Yeah, like <laughs> obviously she did it. But what, what she saying, did though. do mm. is become girlfriend of my first girlfriend and then they had a 15-year relationship isn't that see I've been picking winners for a while (laughs) like like I've been matching people for a while yeah right like betting people yeah Yeah, this is a good one you can have her that's a whole story that I (laughs) don't really talk about anyway so so you're in Germany visiting a pen or a pen pal who's a girlfriend yeah so now I have with these friends and now I have this whole world so we were there this was with this second girlfriend who was Australian and we were all in Berlin and it was this whole Mm. thing you know young you kind of have fun and everything so we we were hanging out with this group and we were having like a going away like we're leaving Germany now so we're gonna have this little house party and I just remember somebody putting on uh, REM Mm. and everyone passed out and someone putting on a like a Jamaican accent and saying we got Bailey's mom it was and everybody was just wasted it was was only alcohol but everybody was just Mm. wasted Mm. and the thing was it was I had a sweet tooth so it was this candy alcohol thing. It was very much mm-hmm. that. That was the only reason that it kind of drew me in because it tasted it the, delicious. the only alcohol you can think of that yeah. actually tastes good if you think about it. Yeah. So that brought me in. And then once I understood the feeling of it, uh, a lot of things that were bothering me could be, um, you know, suppressed. 
And so I, I understood that. And because I was young, I wasn't experiencing hangovers. Mm-hmm. I was just, it was just this thing that happened, and then this happened, and then mm. you drink, and you feel a buzz, and then you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you start all over. Mm. So that's how it started. And um, so do you, yeah. you, it sounds like you kind of quite quickly made the sort of cognitive or intellectual connection between, oh, I'm, if I drink this, I no longer feel... Oh, X. for sure. Whereas I think for a lot of people, when they start, maybe perhaps younger teenagers or younger yeah. kids even start yeah. drinking, there's not the necessary, not necessarily that same awareness yeah, for of fun. Like, exactly. Yeah. So I'm using this for fun. I'm just doing it because everyone else is doing it. There's yeah. not so much of an immediate actual awareness of like, oh, here's the medicine I've been looking for for my anxiety all these years. Yeah. Who knew it was right there in plain sight? Yeah, that's, that absolutely happened first. I mean, first time. Yeah. Like, like really, it was it was a fun environment, but it 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 kind of deadened the things that I was worried about back home and oh, all see. sorts of things. Yeah. And just absolutely, without question. So you began using it immediately as a way to medicate rather than to kind of Yeah, like but I didn't know it. In. I didn't okay. realize that. And the medication part, I just mm. knew that the the result of what of drinking. Mm. So for for probably four four or so years I just drank as as a young twenty something mm-hmm. would, it wasn't like I was drinking every day, and it was really more uh, situation ap- appropriate. Mm-hmm. But when I did, I felt great. Mm-hmm. And so it was when I th- th- all these stories have to do with girlfriends. <laughs> like there's interesting. Like, that's a whole book, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> the seven deadly sins. Uh, uh, it was about 24-ish, 25, where I realized I was living, uh, my girlfriend at the time was living with me in San Diego, and she would, I would work from home, because I've always kind of had these different interesting jobs, and mm. odd jobs, and some things that didn't pay, and some things that did, but this, at this time I was publishing a magazine from home, and she would go off, and she would come home, and I would be drunk. And she didn't think anything of it because she was a college student at the time. She didn't think anything of it, but having someone sort of come home to you and you realize how you're taught, like that you're drunk and it's this time every single day. And I started just kind of being aware, like, mm. oh, I'm drinking by myself. Mm. Oh, okay. I was drinking by myself today. And getting drunk. Not and getting just drunk. Having, like, oh, yeah. Not just having something to take the edge off. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm drunk I was with you, what they, the, you know, that term, the functioning alcoholic, yeah. like highly functioning. Like yeah. I was able to publish entire magazines and run teams, global teams and all that. And I had one day after a long time, um, like after we I broke up, mm. this person she she talked to me and she said I had no idea you had a drinking problem I had no idea you were it was just a thing and I'm like yeah I mean I was drunk every day so by then by 24 25 I was drinking all the time so that's quite fast it escalated quite fast yeah it like, didn't get given to... that you didn't start until 21 yeah I'm I, I, I'm pretty full-on with what I do I'm an overachiever you know <laughs> right. so, but it didn't okay. get to like a fever pitch until probably like 27 28 okay. so that was when I first had the understanding that it was too much mm. and that it was something that it, I wasn't necessarily um, in much control of mm. but still at that 24 25 I was still thinking well mid-20s this is what everybody does all my friends drink you go to everything is when we did the bar so this can't be wrong or this can't be weird it's just that I because I have a higher tolerance I weigh more I drink more 
that's how I kind of justified it. And, and it was still working. It was still doing the thing I needed it to do. And so I just kept going in that direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were the main sort of like feelings that you identified you were sort of medicating or avoiding with it? I mean, I had a lot. So growing up, we, I, uh, we didn't have much money. And so we bounced around a lot. And there was that. It was sort of just never having enough money in, mm. in, in to, into my 20s. and that's So just kind of anxiety around yeah, that. Yeah, just money like was always... instability and insecurity. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And then, um, uh, I mean, yeah, just like anxiety. Mm. Just anxiety about life and how you're going to pay for stuff and how things are going to play out and what are you going to become and what's going to become of you and all those types of things. Hence the overachiever tendencies. Yeah. Just to make sure you've got everything kind of covered and like you're spinning a million plates just so that if one of them falls, like at least you've got all these other things going on. And I also had true, like this wasn't dreamed up or kind of put on my, this was, I had true responsibilities to Mm. people. I was often the person that, that, you know, most family would call or most friends would call to be the sort of rock. So that's the part is probably even more so than the anxiety was the fact that it was like, it was some of it was just paranoia or a little bit of like just angst of being human. But some of it was like, oh no, you you do get asked to be someone's advice, you know, advisor or figure stuff out in a lot of cases. And so that was a lot of responsibility to, if I could... If I could be a little drunk while I was thinking about that, then I could face it. So that's that kind of time period. Yeah, that's actually resonating quite a lot with me, and I hadn't really even thought about it before. Being that, being seen as that very strong, capable person, having a drink kind of gets you off the hook. Yeah, of like oh, totally. Have, having to take be the one, the, always the responsible one. Totally. I'm tired of being the responsible one. It's yeah. tiring to yeah. be to be that space holder for yeah. people. And so, to when you drink, you're kind of like, okay, I'm. Hands, yeah. I, can't, I can't. Sorry, can't help you right now. You know, the funny thing is, <laughs> the funny thing is, I just talked to a couple of friends of mine that I knew a few years ago who we were drinking buddies. I mean, we were out in the streets, mm. and I remembered, and we kind of joke about it every time we talk to each other every few months or years. Even while I was wasted, and we would go out to, in this case, West Hollywood, and just get like just smattered <laughs> uh, I would still be the one at the end of the night that made sure everybody got a cab made sure nobody was drinking and driving made sure everybody made it out of the club <laughs> we mm-hmm. didn't go home with someone you know that they didn't know their first name that sort of thing mm-hmm. it was still that person and they would kind of they would joke about that too like you know I've heard people say like if, if I wasn't out drinking with them they, they wouldn't they would be have been killed or something because of that because it still has to kick in but you can kind of uh, avoid it. I think one more thing that that I have started thinking about, too, mm. is that I have a, um, a lot of issues with, uh, is it stimuli? Is that the mm-hmm. correct form? Mm. Stimuli. Yeah. So, like, I can't see certain things or I can't like, hear certain things that hurts my ears. Okay. Or, um, if so I, you have, you're, oh, you're sensitive like, to yeah, stimuli. Yeah, sensitive. Yeah. So... When I'm, when I was drinking, it would help me calm that yeah. because everywhere you go, you I, everywhere I go, every, except, except for in my own home, I see something that disturbs me because of the way my mind works, and it's not something I talk about all the time. It's something certain people know, and it's 
it's not something I bring up all the time because it's just every single day of my life, all the time, no matter what. And so when drinking, it kind of makes, because you're poisoning yourself and you're dulling your senses, it kind of makes me like, or made me uh, much less able to see that everywhere I went. Yeah. Well, exactly. We think about alcohol as kind of like dimming our awareness, mm-hmm. both on a kind of like actual physical level and I think on a sort mm-hmm. of like just general yeah. um, a level. But yeah. like if you're over, if you're overly aware, yeah. if you're hyper aware yeah. and in a sense kind of hyper vigilant because of that, then yeah, yeah it can be a way to relax. It's them. a way. And, and I think, you know, there's medicine, I'm sure there's medicine for it that's prescribed. Yes. Also, I say that when I was drinking sense of taste and the sense of color was dulled too so and I stopped drinking eventually those things came back so it's it's not worth it you know if you're yeah. thinking oh maybe yeah. well, it's not worth it because yeah. you lose it too yeah you know yeah might as well just and find even like ways. you know intimacy like you know being around other people like yeah. the sensitivity to other people's emotions and things that's so oh, valuable for sure. oh for sure it can be so overwhelming and yet yeah. it's also so valuable particularly in business and negotiations like being able to be aware of what other people yeah. are thinking and feeling I think can yeah. be a real asset once you learn how to manage it and understand yeah. it yeah it's one of my it's one of the things that I uh, think got to, move, to me to where I am today, mm. and so mm. it's a it's a superpower. Absolutely, why dull that as well? Yeah, well, because if we don't understand it or it hasn't been encouraged, or maybe we've even got told off for it, mm-hmm. like stop being in everyone's business, or like <laughs> you're too too smart for your own good, like yeah. that kind of thing. Oh, right. is can also be if you think about just the languaging of things like yeah. that. Guys don't like, get told that. No, I've never heard a guy been told no. he's too smart for his own good. No. <laughs> get more into that as well I would like to continue on this timeline you said things reached fever pitch and you began to realize that your drinking was problematic what was happening then oh so that would have been more around like uh, 28 Mm. 28 29 Mm. and I was now in a different part of LA I was living with two uh, women from England Mm -hmm. and they were like visiting on a, like an acting scholarship or something and we had it was like this it was the coolest place I'd ever lived in because we were we had the three kind of incomes and mm. so it wasn't this crazy place but it was just a nice three-story uh, indoor garage you go upstairs and there's like a living room and a bar mm-hmm. area and then upstairs are the bedrooms and so we're all sharing this it's like time of our lives having relatively calm house parties like nothing crazy out of the, nothing crazy yeah. but having them yeah. and entertaining mm-hmm. and one day we were getting ready for one of these parties not after but ready for it and there was a line of vodka bottles on the floor kind of like in a good like in an organized fashion mm. that were empty and i kind of jokingly turned to one of them they're both in the room and i jokingly turned and they both drank heavily but i t- turned to one of them, and I said, like, who killed the bottles? So who killed all those bottles? That's crazy. Who, did you all have a party I didn't know about? And they both looked at each other, and then they looked at me, and they said, Arlen, you did. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mm. How could I have drunk? How could I have? Like, physically, who has the time? <laughs> and they're like, you kill a bottle a day. Wow. And I'm like, what are you talking? How can, the, how can I be standing here? And, and I started doing the math, and I started thinking about how often I go. We, the same place happened to have 
a uh, liquor store in the parking lot. Like we shared a parking lot with the liquor store. So I started thinking about the times, how many times I went to the liquor store. And then I started thinking about when I started drinking every day. My rule to myself had been, and I thought this was quite normal, as long as I've had something to eat, I can drink. As long as, I'm sure a lot of people think that, right? As long as I've had something to eat, it is now drink o'clock. As long as it's not literally my breakfast. Exactly. This is okay. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Like physically, healthily, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I started thinking, okay, well, that means that I probably start drinking like 11 a.m. And then I know for a fact that I don't stop drinking until I'm asleep. Until I'm going to bed. Like that's, I know that part. Okay, that's that math. Then I started thinking about, well... Wait a minute, so I, I drink when there's like friends over. I drink alone, sure, but that's like, oh, it's like, wait a minute. I, I, I have to have a, like a swallow of, of vodka before I go across the street to the grocery store to face going to the grocery store. And I started putting these pieces together like, wait a minute, I'm grown and I'm quite confident and have done yeah. quite a bit already, but yeah. I have to drink alcohol to go to the grocery store? Something's mm. wrong. All of a sudden, ding, 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 ding. And I mean, immediately, as soon as that went off, I immediately called someone. I can't remember who it was, but it was like a nurse hotline or something yeah. like that. And I called them and I told them, I was like, what do I do if I'm like addicted to alcohol? Because it was all physical to my mind. It's like physically addicted yeah, to alcohol. Right. And they started, they gave me some ideas and things like that. And I just said, okay, I'm going to be more aware of it. And that's when I kind of was aware of it. Then... That had some kind of personal stuff going on that was really painful, like uh, emotionally painful. Mm. And I said, well, I'm not going to drink this away. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, my friend down the road, I know, does this edible, back when it wasn't uh, legal, does these edible uh, foods, you know, that you can, that have weed in it. I'll just get her to get me some of that stuff and I'll make some stuff at home and that'll be whatever. So I had her get, bring this butter that had, was infused. Mm -hmm. And she brought the butter over. And I'm, I've never had this stuff before. I don't even I don't smoke weed. I don't know what to do. And I oh. see a stick of butter. And I'm like, I can see what this is so going. These, okay, so check this out. So check this out. So I get a recipe for Rice Krispie Treats. And I follow the recipe, which is like a stick of butter, yeah. basically, mm -hmm. for like this big amount. And I make these Rice Krispie Treats. And I two things... Major things happen in this moment. One is I put them all in saran wrap and I build out a 30-day supply for myself, which is effed up. <laughs> but it, to me, it was so logical. I'll need that every day yeah, to get right. through the day. Did that. Second thing that happened is I bit into one and I waited a few minutes and nothing happened. So I was like, okay, I'll, it's probably the whole one I have to eat. So I ate the whole one. And I was going to eat another one if I needed to. But I was like, oh, and they told me, you know, it'll take all day and it'll be like this mellow thing. And so I sit on the couch and I don't know how much time passes, but I'm watching TV by myself because my roommates are gone. And I'm looking at this TV, TV show. And at the time, it was a TV show that Kelsey Grammer and Patricia, can't think of her last name, who was on Everybody Loves Raymond, mm -hmm. the, Heaton. Mm -hmm. The two of them had left their longstanding shows and had a pilot of a new show where there were news anchors. Mm. So they were both sitting at the news anchor and I was watching their show and it was quite funny. And I was listening and all of a sudden, both of them turned their heads towards me and go, isn't that right, Arlen? <laughs> and cocked their head to the right. And I go, what? And then all of a sudden, all things start happening. And then my roommate comes in and she's like, 
Arlen, you're tripping, like really tripping. And she's like, I said, just keep an eye on me tonight because I, I've never felt this way before. Yeah. Were you scared? I was terrified. Yeah. So I go upstairs and I start, I call her back in. And I'm like, I, I can't stop myself from doing this certain repetitive pattern. So what happened was my my neck would start would roll, and I would have to, like, catch it like a... It was so weird, and I couldn't stop myself, and I mm. couldn't talk correctly. And I was seeing and imagining things, and I thought I was crying because I thought people were going trying to kill me, and I thought she was trying to kill me. And I had taken... Quite a bit. So. Well, yeah. So. But also, it's just an illustration of how powerful weed is. Like, happily being yeah. legalized everywhere. And not to say I'm, I'm not pro-prohibition at all. Yeah. But, like, it's, we don't oh, think, we think about it as such a mild kind of yeah. like, oh. And I don't, I don't regret anyone for their things. Totally. But it was just fun. So I do that. They end up calling an ambulance because I'm just so, I can't stop myself from this role. Mm. And I don't know when it's going to end. So they call an ambulance. They take me downstairs. I go to the, to the I'm in the I'm in the ambulance and there's a woman and a guy and they're both like you know concerned and they're taking my vitals and everything and I tu- and I remember this very vividly I turn to the woman and I look at her and I say you're bisexual <laughs> and she's like well, tell my boyfriend that you know that I remember was she saying like that. a nurse or yeah okay like EMT right yeah. she's EMT yeah. and she's like. Tell my boyfriend that. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> and I'm like, you're, you're bisexual. You don't know it yet, but you are. And, like, she's being very stern in her face. And then I say a couple more things. She, she smiles and everything. And it was just like, oh, that, I had no reserve. Like, that's. So I go into the emergency room. I look around. I'm like, where's Grey's Anatomy? Where's Grey's Anatomy? I'm seeing the, the dumbest things of the 28, 29-year-old. They, t- they come out. They put a cop at my door. And they say that I tried to commit suicide. And I said, they said, we have never seen anyone with this much uh, marijuana in their system. Oh, my God. And I apparently, it was so concentrated, and I took ridiculous amounts. And I said, do you think if I was trying to kill myself, I would want Rice Krispie treats as the cause of death in the, <laughs> in the obituary? I did not try to kill it, so they had me on a 24-hour... They said you were trying to kill yourself with marijuana. With, with marijuana, because they said it was such an obscene amount right. that the only thing I could be trying to do is do that in a less painful way or something and I was like I know I'm just stupid <laughs> like, I'm just I just made a mistake <laughs> so it was so that when I when I came out of that as silly as it was and as you know my roommates came in and they're like you have this like stash of these things we threw them out like you don't I, want that to go yeah, there again yeah. yeah and I was just like why did I make 30 of those? Mm. Why did I have a need my medicine for 30 mm. days? Why do I sometimes choose a bottle of alcohol over food when I know I have $4 for the day? Why? And that's when I started understanding, oh, wow, you're, yeah. you're addicted. Like, yeah. really, truly, the thing that you see on TV. Yeah, yeah. And but like you say, the, you weren't that thing on TV. You had, like, a nice apartment yeah, with yeah. these, like, cool roommates. And you had you were doing well in your career. So well, why Well, I was doing okay. Think? Not necessarily mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I was doing okay mm-hmm. in, the, in the way that I consider okay. Yeah, you know? okay. And yes. so it was, it was less... I wasn't that case of having my life together and how could I. It was more like I didn't have my life together. Right. I knew that. Yeah. But I felt like I had the pieces were. I didn't realize the pe- the pieces were so glued and taped together. Yeah, I, see. I thought I was maintaining. Yeah, okay. And I certainly was not. If yeah. 
I didn't even know like this other part of me was doing this thing over here yeah. and putting my putting me in such a ridiculous position. Because imagine if anything else, I mean, imagine if it had made me like run into the streets well, and totally. take the clothes off or, yeah. like, or get arrested. Or jump out of a window. Yeah, like exactly. The classic thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. So that's when I knew something was terribly wrong. And, and um, that kind of started a whole new chapter. Is, did you then get sober? Did you go to AA? Was that No. So I did attempt AA. Mm. Uh, AA is just not for me mm-hmm. because I grew up in a religious um, cult okay. <laughs> and that I consider a cult. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a hard time sitting in a room where there are certain, there's a certain structure and there's a certain uh, expectation of people in the room and a certain thing that you're kind of basing it's almost like school. Like, I almost have a hard time at school right. <laughs> because of that. It's just the way, that's a whole other issue, right? So AA, I loved going to it because I really appreciated what it was doing for the people around me. But the problem I had was when they said, you know, go to a higher power. And I was like, I don't I don't have a higher power that I can reach to. And where do I go then? And they didn't really have an answer for me. And so... That didn't work out, but I was so hyper aware of it that, um, and I was so sickly at that point. I had mm. just hurt myself so much with alcohol and damaged myself so much that I just, I had this rock bottom moment. And when I had that, this wasn't it, by the okay, way. Okay, that like, was not that what we just heard about. No, okay. no, the rock bottom moment happened when I had, I stopped counting at 14 uh, Jack and Diets and one starting at like 6 p.m. one night and out and about with some friends. And the last thing I remember is slow dancing with a woman. I would have been 29. Slow dancing with a, a straight woman who was celebrating her 50th birthday in a dive bar and her, her daughter coming in and pulling us apart and saying, what are you, either of you doing? <laughs> and I, it was slow dancing to um, I Need You Now by uh, that country band that I can't think of right now. It was uh, that and then spending the next three days unable to move because I was so, had poisoned myself. So to me, that was a rock bottom yeah. for like integrity <laughs> and also uh, just physical, just physically like, like I can't do this anymore. Mm. That's when I locked myself in this guest house I was staying in and I like back then you had DVDs and stuff. So I got like all these DVDs. And I just sat, like, literally sat on my hands for four, four or five days, had food brought in. And I said, if I don't break the ha- this habit somehow by having days in between and breaking it, I'm going to die. So I just did that. And it was mm. really, really, really difficult. Mm. Really difficult. Mm. But I ended up being sober for a year and a half. Okay. From that. Yeah. Uh, because I just thought I was going to die. So right. I just thought. So from sheer kind of willpower and just like fear of dying. Yes. You like quit for a year and yes. a half. Yeah. Yeah. I, I made myself, because I can, I can get extreme. So mm. I made myself extreme for the right cause. Mm. But it was truly, I thought, you're, I'm going to die. There was no other option. Like, if I take another drink, something will happen and I'll die. And so, because I had gotten so sick, it had, like, kicked my butt so much, I was like, what if I, my heart had stopped in the middle of the yeah. night or something? Yeah. I can't ever do that again. So I did go sober for a year and a half, but every single day of that year and a half was difficult. Every single day I yearned for alcohol. 
and that was no that was not There's sustainable no solution yeah to yeah today. so I eventually um it started with like a glass of wine at a Italian restaurant and I thought well I've been sober for a year and a half I can I certainly control myself now. yeah I can control myself now I'm adult an adult mm, and I don't mm. see how I could not drink again mm. have many years ahead of me so I can take it and then after like two or three weeks of being normal, I guess, a normal drinker, it was back to exactly the same thing. Wow. And even more now, because now I'm having hangovers, and now I'm feeling yeah, even right. more sick. Because now you're in your early 30s. Yes, exactly. Then it then it starts being uh, weird, and then it's like my financial situation got even worse, so I drink even more to avoid it. So it got pretty pretty bad again Mm. it's interesting how the money thing has come up a couple of times because obviously you know we know you now are helping finance people like well your whole business is finance and money and sort of like and I you know at the beginning of this conversation you kind of said that your your sobriety or sustainable sobriety has sort of occurred whilst you've been setting up your fund and mm-hmm. kind of starting this new life in finance for you. Yeah. It's a financial disruptor, right? And I'm wondering, and maybe we'll get to this a bit later on, but if sort of the healing around finances or the mm-hmm. kind of like taking control and taking mm-hmm. sovereignty in the, the area of finance is something that's helped mm-hmm. sort of like with your sobriety also. It's a piece of it. Mm-hmm. I think that it's not directly the cause, but mm-hmm. I think it's a piece of it because what has helped is understanding that I have, you know, understanding my value. It took yeah. me until about 37, which is when I got sober separately. Right. It right. took me till 37 okay. to understand my value. And and that's because, you know, between that last story I told yeah. in 37, yeah. that's when a lot of not having a home happened. Okay. And a lot of that was the result of, like, years of underselling myself or undercutting my own interests. Like, not knowing, like, simply that this expertise or this point of view or this time was actually literally worth more and this intelligence and like you said this superpower of just kind of like being intuitive and yeah and knowing what the hell is going on i didn't really understand it i mean i've done a lot of really interesting things and i'm happy about that how they played out and it hasn't all been terrible you know some of it's been a lot of great memories and everything but ultimately what it came down to is that 37 was when i well, yeah, 30, 36, 37 was when I just understood that I am um, worth more than I had been giving myself credit for. Okay. And that's, you know... I'm going to do a little aside. Yes, this absolutely. May, are you into astrology at all? No, I'm not. Okay, well, I'm just going to... This is for is. people who are listening who do are into astrology, just something that I couldn't help but notice this pattern. Age 27, 20 to 29, we have what's called a Saturn return. Mm-hmm. And it's when the planet Saturn, which is the planet that rules kind of life lessons, but maturity, responsibility, um, our adulthood, but also um, achievement, it comes to the same place as when we were born in our birth charts. And typically it will be a period in our lives, and many people may recognize this, 27 to 9, what was going on for you. When life experience will kind of get a bit of a knock, and it'll be like, really? Mm-hmm. Is this your path? Or are you going to like, are you going to kind of grow up and take take responsibility here, right? So that was when we had the first one. And yeah. then 36, 37, we'll have what's called a Saturn square. So it moves because it takes 28 years to go around the whole chart. So every seven years we essentially have another kind of like a little moment of like mm-hmm. yeah okay there's another corner you've got to turn here so like which way are you gonna go yeah. you know 
Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like 36, 37. Yeah. Where a few things happened at once, and I was like, not not all bad. Again, not all like bad beating you up and you have mm. to face it. Some of it was like just how good it was or wanting more of that. Mm. And knowing I couldn't mm. have that unless I got myself together and right yeah yeah great. so I spent spent those few years sort of doing all sorts of things mm. and again you have to also understand like before I had this career working in finance I was working on the road parts like right before it on tour yeah right. and what happens when you have a tour whether it's a an indie artist or it's a big you know arena level artist which I did both mm. as a production coordinator to mm. manager Every single day, is you it walk in. Yes, you. Walk, I mean, it's a lot of work. Let, yeah. let me tell you, it's a lot of work. But people work hard, play hard. So you walk into a green room with every piece of alcohol you've ever wanted. I know the drugs too. I'm sure. Yeah, I never. I, and I never. Thankfully, because I mm. think I would have become addicted if I ever tried it. So that's why I didn't. To yeah. be honest, yeah. I was like, I'm, I, yeah. I can't do this recreationally. There's no way. Yeah. But then you go from that, you get on the tour bus or you get on the tour, whatever vehicle or whatever you're flying, whatever. And then there's just alcohol as far as the eye can see. All night. All night. Like that's For literally. Free. Quote unquote yeah, free. Because we're absolutely. paying a different price, right? But yeah. Absolutely. So I had all of that going on mm. and it was just, you know, you're having these kind of interesting moments in life you want to celebrate and everybody else is, every single person around you is doing it. And if there is one person that's not, they're considered the outsider. Yeah. So you just kind of subconsciously think, like, this is what you're doing. Of course. This makes sense. And I bet some of it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know what? Drinking has always been fun for 45 minutes to me. Like, for 45 minutes, it's the time of my life. It's a great 45 minutes. It's the next five it's days next, that are kind of absolutely. shit. Absolutely. <laughs> It's 45 minutes where I think I can take on the world, and I think, this isn't so bad. I can't believe I was going to turn this away in the mor- this morning. I said no more to this. 45 minutes, invincible, and then as soon as, like, the second drink starts hitting, that second hour, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be I know how this is going to turn out. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'd have fun for the 45. <laughs> I remember going to a really cool job. Uh, hung over the first day and I regretted it I still regret it I, I went to a very cool job that not many people have the opportunity to do and it was in the in the production world mm. and I was hung over and I had to meet some important people to that job mm. that day and I was just thankfully I guess thankfully found someone who kind of took pity on me and yeah. covered for me when yeah. they needed to but it was a job where I was supposed to drive for some of it Ooh. and I got them to drive I was like just cover me just act like I, I don't know how to drive well or something cover me and then the meeting part we would and so that you know that's one of these yeah. sacrifices you make yeah but all of that happened and and then uh and then the good stuff happened. So what happened at age like 36, 37? Was there a turning point there? Is this when the the, the fund and the finance piece kind of like so the, comes in? So the fund piece, so I invest now um, in, in underestimated, underrepresented founders, startup founders. So uh, 2015, I got my first investor. So mm-hmm. we were able to really start. Mm. And that had been after years of trying and okay. had been kind of... Uh, uh, bouncing around from place to place, all sorts of different levels of not having a home. Or mm. there was a term that was used that I really prefer to homeless, which was mm. uh, 
oh, they said like address uh, unstable or something like yeah. that. It's not exactly that term, but it's like instability with yeah. housing, housing yeah. instability. Yeah. So, uh, well, even when you just because I think I said it before we jumped on. Sorry to interrupt, but on your your bio there are different versions of your bio and the first line is like Arlen raised her first five million while she was homeless yeah yeah <laughs> and but when you were describing you were kind of on the road like the whole time you were a roadie and like working in music production yeah. you were kind of homeless kind of yeah it was a chaotic yeah life that was like the the better version yeah. of what I had had before right. it was like it was a hack in a way and it was also just yeah. a way of living yeah making a living so it was both yeah but I the the th- kind of fast forward to it I did against all odds like just shatter this expectation of of what I was able to do I did find funding and it did take a long time to make uh, work Mm. I then in turn invested in uh, many companies over that time and have invested in more than a hundred now it's amazing and and that was all great I was still so that you know it was fall of 2015 when I really got going with the fund because I had investors by then uh, but it took a while to ramp up. Well, again, in your bio, it says that you were, like, essentially sleeping rough in, like, San Francisco Station. The air- no, the while, in the airport. Yeah. While you were seeking yeah, funding. absolutely. I mean, that's, like, so super yeah. resilient. And I would drink then. Right. So I would I would have no money, but I would, like, my mom would transfer, like, $10 so I could eat. And I would use eight of that for alcohol. Because, you know, you're sleeping on the floor. That's really uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, it's like you just, like you don't, you're 30-something, mid-30s, yeah. and you're yeah. sleeping on the floor of an airport. Yeah. And you're like, ah, I can have that fruit over there, which I need, my body needs that, or I can have the one drink that may make an hour go by where I'm not feeling this. Yeah. And that's the decision I made. Yeah. But it was also just being in that environment. Mm. So I work on it. I'm doing, I'm um, on my feet. I'm, in fact, thriving and kicking some butt <laughs> and uh, still a drinker. Mm. And because I have been able to drink and run companies well, relatively, I don't think anything of, like, quitting at this point. But then about a year and a half. You mean you're not considering quitting? Not considering quitting because it's like now let's see how life is when I have money and I probably don't need that as much and I could probably have more control over it. Yeah. Well, a year and a half go by mid 2017 and I'm drinking as heavily as ever. I feel sick every day. My sides hurt because my kidneys hurt. Um, My my wife uh, got married about a month ago and my wife Anna Thank you. Today she tells me, she's like, you know, when I used to touch your back, you would flinch because you were in so much pain all the time. Mm. And I didn't even remember that. Mm. But that's happening. And on top of that, I'm getting into really stupid fights with her. Mm. I'm picking fights when I'm supposed to be enjoying these these best years of my life because Mm. they are, literally. Mm. And I'm picking fights with arguably the nicest human being on earth <laughs> and I'm just picking them because and I'm saying things that I, like I have a, like a rule to, to not use the word should and always and never and fights with people especially my love my, my spouse mm. and at the time um, um, girlfriend um, and I was using those words left and right like you always do that, and she's like, I, I never have. What do you? Yeah, how can right. you say always? You haven't known me but for three years. Yeah, this yeah. You know, so I was doing those things, and I was. She was so uh, 
calm during them. Uh, but she would tell me afterwards that it wasn't cool. And then the thing that, that got me was that um, I went to a concert and I got, again, by myself, wasted. It makes me sick, physically sick to think about how bad it was. And I came home and I sent a text barely able to see straight. And I said, Can meet me at the gate of our apartment. Like, meet me there because I can't even get the key to work. I can't even see straight. She takes me. I, I somehow get in bed. And, you know, it was a mess or whatever. So she, she told me later that she, like, basically sat outside of, my, of the room that I was sleeping in because she wasn't going to get in the bed with me. She sat outside of it so she could check every few minutes to see if I was still breathing because it was so scary to her. And when she said that and like that and the way I was feeling, mm. I was like, okay, I need to go to rehab mm. uh, because I have this wonderful company and I don't want to mess that up either. And I have a lot, I have a lot of people counting on me and I don't want to mess right. that up. Yeah. So mm. I said, okay, I'm going to go to rehab. And I thought, well, that's going to suck because it's going to take away from, like, the work I'm doing. But I got to do it. Got to do it. So the weekend or so before I was going to, like, figure out where to go and I was trying to get, like, really accurate portrayals of what rehab was like because I couldn't find anybody to, like, tell me the the true, the good ones or something. Mm. Um, It was Pride. It was Gay Pride in West Hollywood. And I lived in West Hollywood. So it was, like, gay pride parade down the down the uh, street uh and so I went to it and it was like you know I had VIP it was free drinks all day long after that day of fun I got a friend and we went finding drinks at night before the last call just so I could go home to drink again it was that kind of thing mm-hmm. and um during that time it was like two or three days of that I discovered a book and I don't know if we're, if, are we talking about the book or how do we, how do we play this? Because sure. this is the book that's, that... Yeah, we can talk about the book. Okay. And I'm sure you've come across this, I, you know, I, I would imagine this. Just, okay. Come okay. out with it. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I'm thinking... I'm like, guessing it's not the big book because we've been there. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we're, I'm, I'm looking online because I'm like, I'm going to check myself into rehab after Pride. It's going to happen. Um, putting my finances in order to be able to afford it, all of that. But I said, why don't I just do a little research and see if there's something? Because, you know, like, maybe I can be hypnotized, maybe mm-hmm. something. Maybe let me just try one more thing that may be helpful. And so I do this search. I go to Amazon. I search all these books. And I read all of them. Like, and there's plenty of them. Mm. And I read them, read them, read, read through the reviews. And I come across this one book called This Naked Mind. Do you know what I'm talking I about? I knew you would say this thing. Yeah. It's a game changer. It's an incredible book. So I come it's across incredible. the reviews of it. And the reviews are just like great after great. And then there's some reviews that are like derivative. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. I don't care if it's derivative. Does it, does it work? Does it work? Does it <laughs> <Yeah>. work? Right. <laughs> I'm pausing our conversation here to remind you again about my 2020 Sober Curious Retreat, which is taking place February 14th to 16th at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in Massachusetts. This will be a three-day immersion into all things Sober Curious, where I will guide participants through a series of interactive workshops to help you answer some of the deeper questions about you and booze. 
The retreat is open to all, regardless of your current relationship with alcohol. Maybe you have 10 years of sobriety and are looking for some new tools and perspectives, or maybe you've just begun to reevaluate your drinking. Everybody is welcome, and based on the feedback we got on this year's retreat, I know you will come away with new inspiration and motivation for your path going forward. There are multiple pricing options available, depending on what level of accommodation you book, and all delicious food, along with daily yoga, is also included. There's a link to learn more in my profile on Instagram at Ruby Warrington, or you can search for the program on the Kripalu website at www.kripalu.org. Now, back to Arlen. Uh, <laughs> so I come across this, this, this book, and I do the audible version because I'm like, it's, re- it's read by a woman, so I can probably relate to mm. it. And I said, you know, what's the harm? Because it can't get any worse than it is right now by reading this book. And what's the harm? It's not going to really do anything, but, like, why don't I give it a try? Maybe it'll help me for a day stop or something. So the first thing it says when you start it is you can still drink while you're reading this book. Just don't drink while you're reading it, but you can still drink during the time that you're Mm, reading the book. And mm -hmm. I thought, hey, you had me at hello. Like, this works for me. So I'm going to Pride. I'm coming back. I'm listening to the book for two or three hours at a time. And I'm not really noticing anything different. But what I'm noticing is that I'm, like, shaking my head, like, affirmatively. Like, Mm. oh, I get that's so relatable. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're so right. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so funny. That's how I used to think of it. That's so funny. Doing that for however many days fifth day pride is over it's like a tuesday now i finished the book and i'm like oh that was good it was well written and some of the reviews are accurate and it's repetitive like they said and it's all those (laughs) things they said it was going to be okay cool great good for her and she's right about some things i think but it didn't i don't i don't feel any different right so i go to the cupboard to pull out the vodka bottle Tito's vodka that I always pull out right now at this point now I'm only drinking starting at like Rachel Maddow hour so 6 p.m. on the west coast I don't do the 11 a.m. because I'm working Mm, you know mm, mm. but so every day though every day I'm 6 p.m. time for Maddow and a drink that's what's going to happen I'm going to drink about five or six of these and I'm going to go to sleep I go to put my hand up to reach for it and I look at it and I'm like I don't I don't have any taste for that I don't have any taste for it. It's so weird. Oh, my God. That book got in my head. That's trippy. That's so silly. So I put it back. and I'm like, hypnotized. I'm like, tomorrow. Like, it did. It, like, hypnotized me. Yeah, tomorrow. And usually when I'm done, you know, when, you're, when I have a particularly bad night or had one, mm. I would take the bottle and I would pour it down the sink and yell at it and throw, take it to the trash and have this breakup with it. And that was my way of never again. And then 24 hours later, I'd be right back at it or 12 hours or whatever. This time, I didn't even do that. I just closed the cupboard. It could be there. I didn't care. I was, it was like when they say hate isn't the opposite of love, indifference is. Mm-hmm. I was indifferent. Mm-hmm. I couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Which is in a way more powerful because there's no so emotion attached to power. it. When we still have emotion for something, we're still attached to it. So much more. Yeah. So then I go back the next day. I open the cupboard at six. I don't care. I don't want it. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't need to be poured down the sink. And that happens for a week. And I have not touched alcohol since then. That was July of 2017. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, That's a bit, does Annie Grace know this story? No. Oh, well, hopefully she might listen. Like, oh, I, mean, I don't know if she, I don't, don't yeah. know if she listens to this, but, like, that's incredible. Yeah. This naked mind was definitely a game changer for me. It yeah. just kind of, like, it stripped away so much of the, um, 
myths. So many of the lies yeah. and the myths and the confusion around what's actually going on here. Yeah. It was a big yeah. inspiration to me for yeah. sure. Well, I can't wait for you to read Sober Curious so you oh, can like, yeah. is it kind of... Is it kind of a place? Sim- similar. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. It, it when, did, of, when did your book come it out? It came out December 31st, last, like 2018. Oh, amazing. So amazing. it's pretty new. And Do there's an audio a, book oh, yes. read by me. That's perfect. Yes. That's perfect. <laughs> you can so listen it's, to it on, it on your Audible or is it on It's somewhere on else? Audible. Yeah. Audible? Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Uh, I live on Audible. Great. So I will absolutely. Uh, do you think it's 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 like for someone who's already sober? It feels. I think that it will just be more um, fuel to your like. Fuck yeah! Like this is yeah. the truth of what's yeah. really going on. It's yeah. super non-judgmental, and and this kind of like goes a bit into the other the other side of what I want to talk to you about. The only bad reviews I've had for sober curious are yeah. too political. Ah. Why is she talking about white supremacy in her book about getting sober? Uh-huh. <laughs> those are fun. Those, those people are fun. Yeah, those people are fun. Well, I'm kind of like, great, I'm causing a reaction here. Yeah. And this is the whole point. I'm not going to not talk about this. And this is something about AA, like it's AA speak, like don't politicize it. It's a personal problem. I'm like, the political is inherently personal. Yeah, you cannot, days- we cannot be alive in the times that we're yeah. living in now and not be highly politicized yeah. unless we want to remain completely unaware which becomes a metaphor for that drunken kind of like, I'm just going to numb out from everything that's mm-hmm. going on in the world around me, focus on what's in front of me, which is probably like Fox News, if you're in that, in that, yeah. in that zone, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to look at what's happening in the world. Well, that's why they call it being woke. Mm-hmm. That's why it's called that. Exactly. Awakened. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And you can use that word. I don't use that word as a, as a white woman. I don't use yeah, the word. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> You're self-aware. That's great. Right. Fantastic. I am self-aware. Yeah. Right. Yes, you can use that word. I'm using the word and I'm saying, yeah, and that's that's why it's called that. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can tune out and that's all good. I'm not going to judge if you tune out. Mm. But you can, I don't think in the turn you turn around and judge someone who is not tuning out. Mm. You don't say, why are you coming into my world with your yeah. viewpoints yeah. and logic? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the final chapter in Sober Curious is called Vision for a Hangover Free Society. And it's like, what would happen if we all removed this removed this gauze from our eyes? If yeah. we all actually took a head took our heads out of our navels and looked yeah. at what's going on whilst saying, Okay, this is gonna be really uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. gonna be some pain, I'm gonna have to feel some things. And I'm going to have to consider, like, how the fuck we got to this position that we're in with mm-hmm. so much divisiveness that has always been there, mm-hmm. that we've just been, like, ignoring and kind of, like, making do with and pretending doesn't exist. I was listening to a podcast the other guy with uh, the other day with um, the writer, the journalist, Tanahassee Coates. Mm. And the, the woman who was... He writes a lot about white supremacy, and the woman interviewing him read... And they weren't talking about alcohol. They were just talking about, you know, the issues with race in America. And she reads a passage from his book, and I've got it here. She says, he writes, and he's talking about reparations. Mm -hmm. A recovering alcoholic may have to live with his illness for the rest of his life, but at least he is not living a drunken lie. Mm -hmm. Um, Reparations beckon us to reject the intoxication of hubris and see America for what it is, the work of fallible humans. And the interviewer pauses and is just like, that's so profound. And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's the way yeah. it is. And a lot of people want to live the drunken lie. That's yeah. just kind of it, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I brought it into this conversation because I look at the work you're doing against a backdrop of like what is going to be in like possibly the most charged political like race in history. Yeah, absolutely. Next year, 2020. 
Without a doubt. And reparations is like a big it's a conversation mm-hmm. that's very that's very real. And I look yeah. at you and the work you're doing, and I see a, a kind of a reparations being enacted through what yeah. you're doing, which I think is genius. Well, thank you. Actually, yes. Yeah, it's part. It's part of it. I mean, yeah. there's there's so much to dive into there. But yeah, yeah part of what I'm doing. I mean, I, most of what I'm doing is just the fact that there's amazing people who are building things and they deserve just as much as the next person and why limit them because of the color of their skin or their gender or their orientation Mm -hmm. that's just a Mm. logical simple line in the sand that I have that doesn't make any sense to me why you would deny that and to me if you are if you're saying well they shouldn't get it's the same thing with reparations actually if you're saying no they shouldn't get that all you're saying is you're afraid if they're on equal footing they will outdo you right that's all you're saying or you're, you're saying. so kind of or you're wanting to guard your kind of like hard one unfairly one privilege yeah to yeah, yeah to and, and continue yeah. oppression and continue inequality and so you're you're pro that if you're anti some yeah. form of reparations. I believe that. Yeah, I, I'm going on record saying I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, it's yeah. The whole the whole U.S. the country. That's why. Well, you know, I can talk about it. It's the mm. U.S. would be mm. completely different um, if if we were on equal footing. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're terrified of. Mm. That's what they're trying to everything that they can to stop. And so, mm. yeah. You use the, the terminology um, underestimated founders, and I really like that terminology. And it actually speaks to, I was just, I highlighted it while you were talking about how you realized that a lot of your drinking and a lot of your struggles with money were because you undervalued yourself. You underestimated mm-hmm. like yourself. That's right. So, and I, so it seems to me that that's why I guess I was asking, like, you know, the work that you're doing now is part of your own sort of healing and your own... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, your own revaluing yeah. of yourself, you know. Yeah, I guess um, they—they they, I mean, again, it's part of the, the bigger picture. Mm. I think it all goes hand in hand. It, there's not one thing that is the make or break of any of it, but it all is layered on it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's as much as I could um, commit to in that in that thesis mm-hmm. at, at this time. Mm. But yeah, it's definitely it's just about once you know your value, you treat yourself in a different way yeah. and part of treating myself better was not being in a fog yeah. and not being in a situation where I was didn't have the control of my own destiny like there, that, that is no longer an option to me to be out of control of my destiny mm. in any way that that means mm. that means having more equity more ownership more uh, conviction all of that and it also means where, where possible taking care of health that I can control I can't control heretics. I can't control uh, life circumstances kind of coming at me, but I can control that I don't drink. Yeah, you can control what you're actually putting into your body. Yeah, that I don't add to the problem. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm wondering as well on this kind of like, because that word underestimated, it has esteem in there, and we think about self-esteem. And I just, and I guess this is particularly in my mind, because I, you know, I edited or the podcast that's going out this week, and it's with my a guy called Adam Reed, and he linked his drinking to having really low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you just have, you know, what do you think of the links between sort of low self-esteem and substance abuse? I think I'm the opposite. Like, that's one of the things I was so 
confused about right. because I have been very confident my whole life. Yeah, right. I really have. Yeah. And it's not just putting on airs. I've had this over-indexed confidence that came from a lot of things, and that's why it was so shocking to me that uh, that I was doing this sort of masking. So even now, yeah. looking back on it, I can confidently say it wasn't, for me, a low self-esteem situation. It was almost hu- hubris. It was almost like, mm. I I can do both. I see. I yeah. can be both because I'm that good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah. it was the opposite. But I'm yeah. certain that a lot of people have that. Yeah. But, it, but the then it, it's interesting because I think it serves... Alcohol is like one of those things. It's almost like we hear about adaptogenics, right? Adaptogenics. Going somewhere with... So adaptogenics are like herbs like ashwagandha and rhodiola. And they're kind of supplements which have become more and more popular. And then an adaptogen will kind of give you what you need in the moment. So if you're tired, it will make you give you energy. Mm. But if you're anxious, it will kind of calm you down. And I feel like alcohol, it almost... If you've got low self-esteem, it'll make you more confident. If you're kind of like super confident, it'll perhaps kind of like calm you down or like slow your roll a little bit you know it's like money <laughs> right money does that magnifies either way and so explain more what you mean by that well, i love it you know i'm not the first to ever say it so i won't mm. claim that but it's true like money just getting getting money and wealth uh, of any or just changing your station in life i guess mm. um if especially if you're anywhere have had any years behind you it doesn't make you a different person it just makes you more of what you were before so if you were a, a, a real jerk before this gives you, affords you the ability to do even more of that if you were a good person or a kind person or someone you you, know, you felt that way about yourself or others felt that way about you it gives it affords you the ability to do more of that yeah right. and so that's why you know that's money fame and then alcoholic is like the mm. physical uh, version of that mm, in your really in your uh, description yeah I hadn't really thought about it like that but it's so so true so when did you get the idea for this fund like you said you'd been trying to get off the ground and you'd been sort of wanting to do yeah. this kind of work for a while where did the idea come from and why why was it so important to you it was around 2012 the first real true iteration of it started coming to mind and it was uh I discovered what Silicon Valley and the tech world was all about and from Texas while Mm. where I was and Mm. I had been on the road and I had been off the road and back and forth uh and it was just really intriguing to me as someone who always felt like I mean since the third grade had a little company in the third grade always are you a Capricorn I have to ask I'm Scorpio oh okay oh yes (laughs) sorry I'm like oh that's yes of course I have to ask Anna what she thinks of that. Because uh, she digs that. Well, Scorpio rules investments and Does it? kind of other people's money. And yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> what are you? I'm an Aries. An Aries. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's, what's something you can tell Aries me? Aries is kind of entrepreneurial and kind of like can do and kind of type A and a bit overachieverish. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> isn't it like the direct opposite? Like, isn't Aries April? No, that would be March, I guess. No, Aries, yeah, Aries is April. And the Scorpio is like... So tw- Scorpio, Scorpio is the opposite of Taurus, which is the oh. next sign along from Aries. I see. So the Scorpio-Taurus axis, they're both concerned with money, value, and worth. Okay. An abundance, but it's kind of like Taurus is the sign that rules kind of like personal inner worth value. Scorpio is kind of like value out in the world. So it also rules over like taxes, inheritance, oh. larger sums of money, investments. That's the Taurus. No, that's Scorpio. That's Scorpio. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
I've never and I said Capricorn it. because Capricorn is the builder and the achiever and it's ruled by Saturn. So that Saturn energy of kind of like I can build and make companies is a very, you find a lot of entrepreneurial Capricorns. Is there any sign that sucks? You know what I mean? That, that's <laughs> all part- signs suck. All signs they have suck some as much as all of- signs are brilliant. Okay, like all signs enough. have their kind of like shadow aspects, shall I tell we you, say. So I don't um, kind of buy into a lot of that, but mm. can I tell you one time I read there was a book that did your birth date. Mm. Oh, the like birthday day book? Day, and it's I so freaked good. out. I freak because I turned to each page <laughs> either way, and I'm like, "There's I wouldn't have been that." It's yeah. not just a random like rosy outlook on everything. You just find a way to <laughs> believe it. It was so crazy. What is your birthday? October thirtieth. Okay. Oh, close to Halloween. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. It was so accurate. So I, I, mm. I I'm someone who um, appreciates different viewpoints and mm. takes on life, mm. and very big on people finding what works for them. Mm. So I try not to. Even if it's something that I don't subscribe to myself, I'm going to have to say, well, how do I know? Like, mm-hmm. what do I know, really? You know, so... Uh, you were going to tell me, so you, that was, you were talking about you'd already had little kind of companies on the side and entrepreneurial schemes yeah, and things? So I, yeah, so, I, yeah, I always felt like an entrepreneur, but when I understood what Silicon Valley was and what startups were and how you, and how the, they worked, I, those were a few weeks of discovery that kind of changed everything, and originally was going to start a company mm-hmm. based on it being a startup, based on it being tech-enabled and mm. kind of going into the next iteration of other things that I had done. And in the research for that, because I am over an over-indexer, I don't necessarily just say, oh, I want to start a company, and then I learn everything about starting a company. I was learning everything about the company, everything about investors, everything about what... I was reading about private equity. I was reading about... I was just reading about everything so that I could be prepared to outshine the competition and everything. And, and when I went out to raise, I wouldn't know what I was talking about. And in that research is when I started reading th- little little articles here and there that were buried mm. that said that 90% plus of all venture capital, which is money that goes into innovative companies, was being invested in straight white men. And I just... I remember looking up the demographics. I knew that wasn't the demographics, but I remember looking at them up specifically and just saying, how in the world is that true? And I thought, okay, the answer is that there's not enough other people know about this. They just don't know about it. It's an insulated world. I didn't really know about it until recently. Mm. All good. I understand now. Okay. And then I, over the next two years or so, 2012, 2014, I would reach out to people and start to say, look, maybe I can raise some money for like LGBTQ founders while I'm working on my company, or maybe I can just connect investors to people. And these investors, whether they were angel investors investing 5,000 into companies, or they were institutional investors investing millions into companies, none of them really would uh, take the call. Like, not none of them, I shouldn't say that. A lot of them, the majority, too many, wouldn't take the call to even be in the room and sit down and have the conversation with the founder if they weren't a white guy and they weren't doing it on purpose. Like, it's just they conditioning. Were, it was just conditioning. And yeah. so I found, I did, a, I did the math in my head and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so I just learned that in venture capital, deal flow is king, meaning if you know a lot of founders and you can get into deals, you win. Um, strictly based on odds mm. of finding some winners. Mm. And that is not... And then it's like a, it's a, it's a, 
it's a talent to be able to get people to want to work with you. Like, okay, that's interesting. At the same time, 90% of funding is going to one group that represents less than half of the population by far. Mm. That's weird, and that means that there's some sort of upside to that that that's, uh, could be outsized. That's it's an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. for sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I just, this vision of... Um, this vision of like when people went west to find gold or when people struck oil. I grew up in Texas, so there was always a vision in my head of someone striking gold, striking oil, or the Beverly Hillbillies. Even is that whole <laughs> intro? Yeah. Is that that vision kind of came to me? It's like the American dream. The reason it happened is because nobody else was looking there. Right. And then all of a sudden, so the the first person who found it. You know, there will be blood. That movie, it's like I drink your milkshake because they were in first when nobody was like checking for them. They were in, and then once they were in, because they were first, they got all the great spots. And that those visions just sort of started compounding on each other. And I thought, I'm not going to start a company, or if I do start a company, the company's going to be this. Yeah, it's going to be backstage. Yeah. yeah. The, comp- the name of my fund, and mm-hmm. it's going to be an investor in other companies, and we're going to source uh, because a most people were saying that the, these founders don't exist. The reason we don't invest in the founders, the reason these numbers are here, is because it's mostly white men who are starting companies, who are having all the good ideas, yeah, who have all the good ideas and are, are executing on them. Yeah, right. They're not even. I had some people ask me, like some guys, investors, like like intelligent people, say, "Do you know women who are starting companies?" Will you be able to invest in? Like, how will you find them? And I just, like, really asking this sincerely because they weren't in their half-mile radius yeah, yeah. and they weren't in the clubs that they were going yeah. to. They didn't realize. So I said, well, if somebody, someone can become the, per- the go-to person that every woman who starts a company calls or every black person who starts a company calls in the U.S., that person That's a lot wins. of potential deals. Yes, a lot of potential good deals. deals though. Also, it's just like... <laughs> Eventually, after you work on that's a lot of hard work, but eventually, mm. I thought about you know a few years on the line, what starts to happen has to start happening, is that the best deals are now sending you the best deals, mm. and you're you're drinking the milkshake. Mm. It, it just like that's mm. how it turned out. Mm. So I just set out and I said I'm going to raise, have no money at all. If I had my own money or family money, I would have put that in because mm-hmm. I believed in it so much. Mm-hmm. Didn't have that, so I said, okay, I'll raise from others, and I'll, I'll get people to understand what I'm talking about. And that took years. Yeah. So that was what, what yeah. happened in the fall of 2015 okay. when s- someone said yes, and then the next person said yes, and started putting together these small checks yeah. and putting them out into yeah. other companies. Yeah. So inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously. It's a really... Just to, to have the... You just... You just totally debunk the idea of like overnight success. You know, it's like (laughs) no, you do you do the research. You literally read everything and you do your research, and then you kind of sit with that for a while and you wait for the idea to formulate and you Mm. play with different ideas and you go down this road for a bit and no, that doesn't work and it comes together more and more and that takes years. Years. Yeah, and it was the years of the work I did prior to that. Yeah, starting with the at fifteen working at the pizza place and watching how my boss worked with money and and how he treated people and knowing what I wanted from that moment all up until working for musicians who were like you know worldwide celebrities and seeing how they treated people versus how members some members of their team would treat people and most of the time the artists I worked for were the, the lowest maintenance mm. you could possibly think of mm. and their people 
we're the ones who are demanding. And it's like to all of those lessons in between. Mm. So there's no and there's no such thing as overnight success no. unless perhaps you are. Uh, I don't wish overnight success on anyone because you see yeah. what happens when they have Well, it's it. interesting. We spoke about sustainability as it relates to society, to sobriety, and I sort of feel like a hard one, not like a hard one, but like um, it takes time to create sustainable sobriety because you have to know yourself and know your triggers and know the nature of the thing mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. all of these things and find your tools. Mm-hmm. And similarly, I think with overnight success, you've got no sort of tools, you've got no foundation for it to land in. It's yeah. just, it's easy come, easy go, right? Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that for everyone. We've been talking for a while, but I do really want to touch on this subject. It's kind of a big subject. Okay. Are you pro-capitalism? I watched a document, like capitalism is coming under a lot of flack currently, right? Right. We're seeing how, oh, so many of the root causes of inequality in the world and oppression in the world can be traced back to this kind of capitalist paradigm, this very extractive capitalist principles of like lowest possible um, labor costs, resources to maximize profit. Mm. And I watched a documentary last night called The Pursuit, and he's sort of arguing that, well, capitalism actually is about creating opportunity for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, it's tough because, I mean, I have varying degrees of opinion, mm. and some don't match the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's tough because I think, like, there, and there's there's no way to for it to really work unless it was truly fair. Right. Like it's like a it's like a pretend or an idealistic. Yeah. Thing. Like if it were truly Ideal- everything, logically, yeah, it works out. Absolutely. If it was truly playing out that way, I would be. I'm all for it, and I'm, in many ways today, I'm all for it. And that's kind of like if everyone was starting from the same place. Yeah. With the same with the same like benefits with yeah. the same education with the same family history like with the same if everyone was starting from the same place great we all great. have equal opportunity yeah and then it would be survival of the fittest and it would be uh, meritocracy and then it would be like you're right you won that fair and square I didn't win it because I didn't rise up to the occasion mm. that's not how mm. it works at all mm. really mm. and it and it it's like there's certain people playing the game uh, and the rest of us are left out or have, uh, you know, used to be left out. Mm. So I, I'm someone who um, really like the idea of making your way. I, I don't like people who make excuses and I don't like people who don't execute and still want everything handed to them. But I also don't believe that group of people is probably the same that someone who enjoys Trump would think is the same people. Mm. I've never mm. met, for instance, I've never met a lazy black person. I've right. never met them. Right. Right. <laughs> because just the sheer act of being and living right. is is such a, an effort for us mm-hmm. to just live in our skin mm. and mm. not get harassed or killed mm. or or something. Mm. Uh, so f- that sort of thing. I, I You know, I like things like, uh, I like the idea of basic income. I actually experimented with it uh, with, with with a person mm-hmm. and uh, for a year. Mm-hmm. And it actually, um, I think it was like $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, which is not capitalism, but mm. that's, that's why I say I, I have these varying degrees of mm. it where I'm like, it, it, kind of using socialism to, 
to get you on to capitalism. Does that make sense? Yeah, at well, all? I think these are the kind of conversations that need to be had because yeah. it's like neither of those two, like if we take those as the two opposite ends of the spectrum, yeah. they both are problematic and perhaps yeah. somewhere in the middle there's something that actually yeah. does and can work. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just talking about this actually with my wife, like, like libertism. Libertism mm. is probably idealistically, <laughs> ideologically is probably... <laughs> the happy medium but it doesn't mm. really play that play out yeah, that way because they're humans they're humans and there's greed yeah and there's consumerist values yeah. which have been deeply embedded over the past century really which have ingrained in us this idea that more is more and mm-hmm. better take better mm-hmm. take better take yeah do you like capitalism um i'm sure i benefit from it mm-hmm. um and I don't have the answer. I don't have an easy answer to that mm-hmm. either. I don't like inequality. Mm-hmm. You know what I was wondering just now? It's like, I would wonder, I would love to know, and actually maybe I, I call what I have now augmented privilege. Hmm. I've, you know, there's augmented reality and augmented... <laughs> uh, good uh, with the terminology. Well, augment, I, this is something I've been working on for a couple of years. Cool. Right? I think because I've been able to, to siphon it and both just observing how other people with privilege act and also because I have more and more intention I can be in certain rooms that other people can that I would myself I wouldn't be able to have been in mm-hmm. but I did think about this is very random but I was just thinking like what is it, what does it feel like to be someone and you are this person what does it feel like I can ask you how does it feel <laughs> to be able to not say a word but you're your existence and your appearance m- makes people comfortable. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you can walk into a Beverly Hills store and not say a word and look around, mm-hmm. and someone is going to make assumptions to the positive about you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever felt mm-hmm. that before. Do you, did it even kind of come into Yeah, I'm aware of, I'm, I'm increasingly aware of it. Yeah. And are you asking me now and I'm feeling into mm-hmm. that moment? It feels powerful. Yeah, powerful. Mm-hmm. So I've always had this, you know, I've always thinking about movies and stuff. So I was like, what if there's, what would black people be like mm. if we had only grown up that way and all white people had grown up for the sentence of slavery? Well, it's like that... Um, I'm sure, is someone writing a novel on that? Has that novel been written? There was a book that came out, The Power. Did you read The mm-hmm. Power by Naomi Alderman? No. And it flips on the gender spectrum. Okay. So there's a point that it's set somewhere in the near future. It's a bit like The Handmaid's Tale, but the op- kind of the opposite. Yeah. And all these teenage girls start being, they just start realizing they've got power, like literally electricity that yeah. they can access in their bodies and they can kill with it. Oh, snap. And so immediately mm-hmm. the power dynamic between like, you know, Men, women yes. is flipped on its Ooh, head. That's it's interesting. a fascinating that makes a good book. Movie. Yeah, or a good, um, but it's show. a similar kind of. Yeah, I wonder. But I, then I wonder: does the um, does does privilege beget like oppression like can one exist without the other I don't that's think what, that's can. my question yeah, I'm right. not saying that black people would act any better right that's what I'm saying <laughs> that's the thesis it's like what would happen yeah or the hypothesis but but I think I think I know the answer. I think you know you would have some people who it was the same thing. Yeah, like there's some people who some people always. But be I, I think about that. <laughs> I think about that when I'm trying to be more um, empathetic, empathetic mm. and I'm trying to understand. <clears throat> Not that I'm trying to give anybody a pass, never. But mm. I'm always trying to understand someone. Mm. I'm just mm. trying to understand how does someone become mm. a white nationalist? Mm-hmm. How does someone really believe? That like like the color of someone's skin, the amount of pigment, they have, literally, yeah, changes their value. 
But you, that's so interesting. You said it feels powerful. It just feels like, and you, but you know it. With the example you were giving me as well, it had an added layer of you're walking into a store, mm-hmm. a fancy store. Mm-hmm. So I, it's presumed that I have money as right, well. Right, right. Not and, only and, that I'm, you know, the way that I look, but it's yeah. pres- the presumption is you have money and yeah. you're going to spend money here. So yeah. we welcome you. We bow down to you. Like yeah. we're so going to make I, you feel as comfortable as possible. If I walk in there, it's the opposite. And there's some black people who could walk in and have that same effect if they're dressed to kill or if they're more polished. But I have all these other things, you know. That I'm a little bit my hoodie and my jeans and that's health. But if I walk in, the way I would feel is immediately I would understand that someone is it happens every single day. Mm-hmm. I immediately understand that someone believes either like the the least amount is they believe that I can't afford to be there. So I, why am mm. I there? Mm. So there's a weird thing out there. Oh, it's a drone, isn't it? Yeah, a giant drone. Yeah. God. <laughs> The, 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 the least amount is they believe that I just can't afford to be in there, so I'm not worth their time to have the conversation and to, treat, and to kind of come and help and everything. The worst is, or one of the worst is that they believe I'm going to steal something. And it happens every single day. It happens a lot at the airport mm. where I'm, I'm like walking around and people, the people from the thing are like watching me at the, like the little candy aisle or at the little magazine. And I'm thinking, first of all, why would you come to an airport? In order to be here, you have to have a ticket into this area. Why would you spend the money? <laughs> and I know there's still like the Winona Ryder situation where you have money, but you have to steal. But every time, right? Why would I come here, buy a plane ticket to steal a candy bar? A candy bar. Mm. Every single time. Why is that the thing? And then I think, well, then my brother, who is, has tattoos on his neck, who is darker skinned, who is a guy in black. I can't imagine how he feels. Mm. I can only under I can only hear how he feels. Mm. So I guess I do know what privilege is because mm. I can mm. walk and not think someone's not going to think I'm going to beat them up necessarily. Sometimes I do if I'm standing at a, at a bus stop or something. I think <laughs> I'm going to beat them up for some reason or at an elevator or with anybody. Anyway, that's a whole other tangent. Yeah. But I just wonder because you know. I'm, I like to. Well, I'm really happy that we're able to have conversations like this, and that yeah. if anything, you know. World events currently are making are enabling conversations like this that yeah. might not have been had before. Yeah, and you know, and I think this is why I'm so I really wanted to talk to you and and highlight as well the work you're doing because I think you're such a great example of someone who's actually enacting change as well as just as well as talking yeah. about it. What you're actually things? enacting real physical positive change and equity in a space that has because I mean I, you know speaking of politics like I had a, a friend who's like a future trend forecaster she wrote a whole book about how Silicon Valley are the new politicians they're the mm-hmm. new gods in a way the decisions are being made there like that's really where it starts so I think you've gone into the heart of the beast actually to, yeah to, <laughs> yeah I to did, confront these a issues a big part of it that I didn't talk about was the fact that I was seeing like it really is like the future depends on a lot of ways about what comes from Silicon Valley and that mm, those who are absolutely. emulating Silicon Valley. Yes. And that was a major part of it. Like we need to be part of the conversation yeah. and we need to be part of the like the simplest form of this is are the tests they've done on uh, automated vehicle autonomous vehicles who cannot see black people at crosswalks. That's like a simple, everybody Whoa. can imagine that. Yeah. They can't see them. Right. You know, it, not to mention the Google uh, search, uh, video, uh. Uh, image searches that bring up uh, animals when they're searching for 
black people, but they can't see them. So that that's just like literally life and death. Yeah. So it, it, imagine that times a thousand different things that we don't think about. Yeah. Like in on all forms. So yeah. that to me was also not just they weren't getting this money. They weren't getting enough yeah. money, and it's not fair. It was more like. They have to be in the rooms yeah. today, so yeah. that in twelve years, and I turn fifty, I'm not I'm not run over by an autonomous vehicle who never saw me because twenty five year old white guys didn't think about it. In yeah, time. and I've seen what they've done so far with the world. I've seen what wow. they've put together here, like this. You know, we work IPOs and all these different IPOs. Mm. You're seeing. Things are a little wonky. Mm. We want to have my di- more diversity early on. Mm. That's just mm. the kind of how it is. So just to finish up, yeah. I'd love to just hear from you. You know, creating big change and acting big change, it takes resilience, perseverance, courage, intelligence, focus, all things which I believe that sobriety can help us to um, generate within ourselves. And sobriety, staying sober, takes all those things too. And I wonder how you kind of, how you, it sounds like you're, this is your personality, like you were kind of born this way, but like if you have any tools, any practices, any ways that you kind of, when the going gets tough, you stick to your guns and you stay focused and you're like, no, this is what's happening. On being sober. Yeah, being sober, but also being, you know, walking this unconventional, unconventional, but like this kind of path of change making, of change. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely um, spend a ton of time alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like on purpose. Mm. And that, that's probably the best decision I could have made which is giving myself time to reflect and strategize and not be caught in everybody's noise because there's so much feedback and if I I think if I were more out there like I I interact with people all the time because Mm. of the work that I do Mm. we have 250 founders 130 companies almost 200 investors it's a whole thing but whenever possible I'll be alone in my thoughts and kind of recalibrate when I need to and I think that's just hugely undervalued mm. the the um, the power of um, silence yeah yeah <laughs> I think that's a big deal uh, a practical when talk, when we talk about sobriety mm. uh, you know I do the thing where I I mean, this is the opposite of that, but it's, you know, or not related. But I do the thing where I have I travel quite a bit, so I always have my hotel mini bar taken away, right? Uh, <laughs> and that's just like how I kind of maintain, yeah, just not having it in front of me all the time. I don't yeah. have alcohol in the house, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I've, I used to think, no, I'll, I'll have it for guests. I used to have it for guests, mm. and that was no problem. But then mm-hmm. I thought. Guests get it, they bring their own mm-hmm. if they really need it. Mm-hmm. They can bring their own. Well, I don't know. They have can it. have a night off. It's probably good yeah. for them. Well, no, see, like I said, like I'm not going to judge you. Yeah. We had like a, a house party, and we people brought their own wine, and that's all good. You know, as long as you don't spill it, we're good. Or as long as you don't get it on me, we're mm-hmm. good. But it was like those decisions you kind of make for yourself, and don't get ashamed, but don't get shamed or ashamed of them. Mm. Where it's like, no, these are my rules. It's my house. Mm. These are the ways I'm going to kind of practically keep myself on the straight and narrow as Mm -hmm, it were mm -hmm. and that's been really helpful um Mm. and I think like maintenance is is good um and I that kind of reminds me like when I you said I was sober for a year and a half and it was very difficult every single day this sobriety hasn't been that this sobriety and I think it has a lot to do with the book 
and the way that it re- retrained. Yeah. It's called this naked mind. Yeah. It, re- it takes you back to Strips the original. away all the conditioning. Yeah, mm-hmm. this time has not been that. I may have in two years thought about alcohol 10 times as opposed to 700 where I've thought about, oh, that's alcohol. Oh, yeah. No. You know, yeah. had that even conversation yeah, yeah, other yeah. than every single day. Like I can sit in the middle of a bar and could care less because it no longer has a hold over me. And so it really was that stripping away. And, and if I ever doubted or question if I can keep going with it, uh, or even I'm tempted, you know. There's a lot of times where I do spend time alone so I could sneak something if I really wanted to. Anytime I'm tempted, I'm like, A, remember how much it hurt physically. There's never been one time where it didn't physically hurt you in the last 10 yeah. years of yeah. your drinking. And B, everything that you've just built could go away because of this decision right now. And that kind of is is all I need yeah. to hear. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story so openly, honestly. Um, and again, thank you for the work that you're doing, for being an amazing um, pioneer in so many ways. Thanks for having me. It's a good one, right? Also, how amazing is Arlen's Texan accent? I could literally listen to her all day. But seriously, this is the kind of conversation I know I need to be having on a regular basis as I confront all of my own conditioning about race, privilege, money, and also what it means to be a problem drinker. Arlen was recommended to me by Abby Allen, who was a guest on my other podcast, The Now Age, where Abby and I had a great conversation all about the spirituality of money, if you want to go and check it out. And I would love to hear who else you'd love me to have on the show. Drop me a DM on Instagram or email via the contact form on my new website, which is just rubywarrington.com, to let me know. If you love this episode as much as I did, please, as always, share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes, as this will help more people find the series. Thanks, as always, for listening and see you again soon. This podcast features original music and is edited by alloaudio.com that's www.aloeaudio.com